Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Dynasty After Dark. I'm your host, Calvin Timms. You can find me over on the Twitter machine at TDC underscore Calvin on my Dynasty After Dark Facebook page. And no longer can you find me on Parlor because that has now been nuked from orbit by uh, Apple and uh, Google. So there's no longer a Parlor account, but I guess that's what I get for trying to be on the cutting edge of the next uh, social media platform. But right now, mostly sticking with the uh, the Twitter and the Facebook. So you guys can find me over on those two if you have any questions. And hopefully you guys are having a good week, good off season. It's kind of a boring time of year, personally. I mean, I was thinking about this today. It's just there's something going on that it's it's kind of a funk, you know. We got actual football going on. We got the playoffs, which is really exciting and but still, at the same time, I feel like I'm I'm bored. I'm really bored now that fantasy is actually over and it's in the off season because I can't get any trades done right now because everybody wants a little break. And I mean, it's just not as much fun when you're not rooting for something every single week. So, yeah, man, January has to be one of the worst months of the year for this. So hopefully you guys are hanging in there just like I am. But Oh, only nine more months until football, baby. Let's go. And the nice thing is right now is the funnest time of the offseason because we get all the hype for the rookies. We have the uh, maybe the combine this year. Nobody really knows because uh, they are talking about potentially canceling it because of COVID and things like that. And nobody knows if they'll be able to get together in Indianapolis this year. But hopefully they have something. People are expecting them to still be able to go for the medical part of the combine, but maybe not perform on the field. But I mean, for all these guys, you could potentially work something out. Hopefully they get something out because the combine is great for the analytical and stats community, like the uh, the sizes guys out there who who really care about if a quarterback has a 10 inch hand versus a nine and a half inch hand. So hopefully they have a combine so that they can actually measure in. Uh, who knows how far down Kyler Murray would have dropped if he would have been five uh, ten instead of six foot, right? So uh, <laughs> just a little joke there, but. Yeah, we'll see if the combine actually goes through, but after the combine is always the actual NFL draft. This is where the mock drafts start going full force in the offseason, and you guys have probably seen them, and they are some very interesting ones so far. Which leads me to an interesting question for you guys. What do you guys think the purpose of a mock draft is when you're seeing all these people do it in the offseason? Is the purpose to fill the need as you would fill it? Is it to best predict what you actually think the team is going to do? Or is it to just kind of have fun and just give a random guess of best player available or things like that? Personally, I like to do the best prediction available. Who I think is going to go where to what team. Even if I don't like the pick, I'll still mock that person to that team. uh, Just because I want to be the most accurate with my mock draft. But I see a lot of people like PFF, for example, they like to mock who they think they would take at each position and really just kind of delving into it that way. Uh, PFF is always a little sketchy. I don't know if you guys have been following it, but they have their uh, mock draft simulator. And if you do 32 straight quarterbacks, you get an A-plus for every single team. Uh, and if you do wide receivers, you I think you get like a solid B for everybody. And if you do anything else, 
defensive or uh, even offensive tackles, you get like a C or an F for every single player, even if it's the best fit for a player like Micah Parsons to the Dolphins, for example. I think he still gets you like a C or a D in their mock draft simulator. So if you want to have fun and just have a laugh, go do one of theirs. But yeah, if you want an actual analysis of how you your mock drafts are going, don't use PFF. They're useful in some ways, but man, I PFF... I could go on a rant, but I'll stick to the actual mock draft. So like I said, my purpose for the mock drafts is to try and be as accurate as possible. That's why I try to predict trades that I think will happen. And it's almost impossible to actually predict because everybody values players differently. You can see this just from the dynasty community. For example, is Devonta Smith or is Jamar Chase the number one wide receiver prospect for dynasty in this upcoming year? Well, half the community says it's Devonta Smith, half the community says it's Jamar Chase, and maybe 1% of those guys say it's like Rondale Moore or Rashad Bateman or uh, Amon St. Ra, some of these other guys that are a little bit further down. And it's really tough because everyone has personal biases and everyone has personal opinions, right? So that's why mocking a actual perfect draft is so difficult because you don't know how these teams value these players and what they're willing to give up. Like, is somebody really willing to give up uh, something incredibly crazy for Justin Fields to the Jets at number two? Like, is anybody going to pay to go up that high? It's possible, but it's just hard to predict who's going to do it because especially with this year with limited draft capital, you know, and then also just limited picks for a lot of the teams that need Justin Fields, for example, uh, they don't have the capital to move up that far without paying an arm and a leg and another leg and probably half their body as well. So uh, they'd be left with basically nothing if they moved up to number two. That's why I don't think it's very likely that anybody trades up to number two, just a little bit of draft talk here, but um, that's why let me know what your guys' thoughts are over on Twitter, on Facebook, what the purpose of a mock draft is. Should it be for fun? Should it be for accuracy? Should it be who I think they should take at that position? I'm really curious to see what you guys think on that because it's very split out there and uh, a little bit more feedback from you guys would go a long way on that side of things. Now, as we uh, go into the week two of the NFL playoffs, I wanted to just update you guys. Last week I did my initial super wildcard weekend predictions and still the dumbest thing ever for me. Uh, it's just the regular wildcard weekend. Not not super anymore. Uh, there's always going to be six teams playing on that first weekend. So not, not really super uh, NFL and all you branding guys, but uh, I digress. So um, in week two here and... What I wanted to update you guys on was my standings. I was four of six last week. I foolishly predicted that Seattle would be- beat the Rams. You know, backup quarterback Jer- Jared Goff got the start in that game uh, with an injured thumb. And Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll, they just could not get it done. Uh, the the Seahawks offense has just been a little bit of a nightmare the last couple weeks. They have really, really fallen off the rails here the last couple weeks. And It'll be interesting to see. I know uh, today we're going to be covering uh, the NFL predictions for the second round of the playoffs, and we're also going to be covering a few Dynasty community questions from you guys and an interesting topic that I wanted to touch on, which is player value and what you're to consider when you're thinking through trades, right? So that said, 
it's going to be really interesting to see what Seattle does this offseason because they just fired their offensive coordinator, Brian Schottenheimer, for philosophical differences from Pete Carroll. Right now, the uh, rumored number one candidate is uh, fired coach, head coach, Anthony Lynn. And everybody should know about Anthony Lynn is he's a former running back in the NFL. He loves to run the ball. And him going to Seattle means that it would be very, very bad for letting Russ cook. But I will cover this because it's one of the number one questions that I got asked for the community mailbag that we're going to also be going over today. And it's going to be our first mailbag ever for the show. I'm really happy. Uh, Thank you to everybody for giving me your questions. But I'm going to cover those here in just a little bit. And I will be definitely covering the Brian Schottenheimer and Seattle Seahawks news and how to handle that. Uh, Just a couple more pieces of news before we get into my predictions for this week of the NFL draft. Uh, There's been three head coach signings this week. Most of them were today or yesterday, I believe. So they're starting to fall pretty quickly. It's been kind of slow this year in terms of filling those openings. But now that uh, Urban Meyer has gone to Jacksonville, they're really starting to hammer in and fall into place pretty quickly now. So Urban Meyer is the number one guy. He went to Jacksonville. I don't think that's a surprise to too many people. People really expected that, knew it was kind of coming. He's going to draft Trevor Lawrence down in Jacksonville. There's no chance that he's going to take Justin Fields. I know there's a lot of talk and speculation about it, but he's definitely taking Trevor Lawrence. Just look at any of the desk interviews that he's done over the last like three years, ever since he's been done being a head coach for Ohio State. He has raved about Trevor Lawrence for years now. There's no chance that he's not going to take him in his first year as a head coach. So Trevor Lawrence and Urban Myers head down to Jacksonville. And Robert Salah, he heads to the New York Jets. And that's another one of the more popular questions that I got is, what is going to happen with Robert Salah? And I will cover that in the mailbag portion as well. Uh, Robert Salah is the 49ers defensive coordinator. So he's going to be a defensive-minded head coach for the New York Jets. Uh, it's pretty consistent with what they've done in the last few years. Adam Gase is the first offensive-minded coach they've had, and I think, in like the last decade. So they're trying to go back to their roots a little bit here with Robert Salah and really try to rebuild the culture as well because Salah is known for being a high culture kind of guy. He's a really great defensive coordinator. He's a great leader of men. He has some pretty interesting runs or defensive schemes as well. So it'll be interesting to see what he can do because this Jets defense is very, very depleted. And I'll be very interested to see who is confirmed as their offensive coordinator. I think right now it's Mike LaFleur is the number one guy who is the brother to Matt LaFleur. Uh, You should recognize that name as he's the head coach of the Green Bay Packers playing this weekend. So uh, it'll be interesting. He was with Kyle Shanahan and the Niners as well. He was the offensive coordinator for Kyle Shanahan, but I don't really know what he did for that team because let's be honest, Kyle Shanahan created his own offense for that team. So it'll be interesting to see what he brings to Uh, New York with Sam Darnold, most likely, and I'll cover that as well here in just a little bit. Uh, The last head coach that has been hired is Arthur Smith with Atlanta. He is the offensive coordinator for the Tennessee Titans, who are just eliminated this last week of the playoffs. And Arthur Smith is an interesting hire 
for the Falcons because Arthur Smith was originally a tight ends coach for the Tennessee Titans before he kind of really stepped up into the offensive coordinator role and he's been killing it the last couple years. He's been very innovative with the uh, RPO, the run pass option with Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, even Corey Davis. He got a lot out of Corey Davis this last year. So it'll be interesting to see what he brings to the table in Atlanta. And Before you guys get too excited about that, you just always have to remember whenever an offensive-minded coach goes to be a head coach or an offensive coordinator goes to be a head coach, there's always the risk that they can't handle all of the responsibilities because when you're just an offensive coordinator, all you're managing is the offensive side of the ball. When you're the head coach, you have to manage the offensive side, the defensive side, the special teams, uh, the in-game decision-making, play calling, all of these different things, personnel decisions. So there's a lot that goes into being a head coach. That's why you don't see all these guys just keeping their jobs for 30 years, right? Because there's a lot of decisions behind it and it's not easy. So just because he's an offensive guy doesn't mean it's going to be great for the Atlanta offense. So I just want to preface that before we get too excited with that and uh, kind of crown Atlanta as the comeback kings of 2021. So just my thoughts on Atlanta and the head coaching landing spots. It'll be very interesting to see who ends up with the last three. The last three are actually the least uh, least interesting jobs from a head coaching standpoint because you have Houston Texans, the Detroit Lions, and the Philadelphia Eagles. Houston is just kind of a mess right now with the whole Deshaun Watson situation that's going on down there. He wants out, and are they going to trade him to someone like Miami? I think they're going to be asking too much and and Miami's just not going to be willing to pay it. So they might be stuck with Deshaun Watson and then we're going to have a real big issue on our hands because I don't think he wants to play for them anymore. I think he's basically done, especially after the Nick Casario hire as their general manager. So it's going to be kind of fun to watch, I guess. If If you're a big fan of the NBA and their off season. This year, I think, is going to be one of the more wild off-seasons the NFL has had in a while, so that'll be something to tune in and watch to see what actually happens with Deshaun Watson, but because of that drama, it makes the head coaching job very unappealing because if you're going to potentially lose Deshaun Watson, who's a top-five quarterback in actual NFL talent, it's not super thrilling, especially if you're getting Tua, who did not look great this year. Now, potentially, you could be swayed into coaching him up this year, but he was kind of uh, lackluster, to say the least. And that's not necessarily his fault. He was a rookie. People are expecting a lot from rookies nowadays, and that's not always the most viable decision to just kind of throw out the rookie after one year. I think it's kind of a rushed process. It used to take these guys three to four years to even comprehend the offenses and work their way into the offense to be a starter. So giving up after one year seems kind of foolish, but I mean, it's very likely that Miami trades away two of four Watson, but we'll see how that goes. So Houston's not looking great. They're strapped against the cap they don't have very many draft picks and their their star quarterback wants out at least if they traded Deshaun Watson they'd have some draft capital which would make it a little bit more appealing but yeah it's not a great situation for Houston Philadelphia is the same way Uh, the general manager has way too much power for that team it'll be a tough fit for whoever ends up going there and 
their quarterback situation is also a nightmare because Carson Wentz potentially wants out. They have Jalen Hurts, who looked pretty good this last stretch of games and probably should be the starter for this team going forward. They don't have a lot of draft capital, but they have a decent pick with the number six, and they don't have a lot of money, while they also have like one of the oldest lineups in the NFL. So they need to fill a lot of holes with these aging vets, and they don't have a lot of capital and draft, uh, draft money to bring those guys in. So Philadelphia is not looking too exciting either. And of course, the last team is the Detroit Lions, who are interesting, but it's Detroit and Detroit just has a stigma around it. I kind of wish Robert Salah had gone to Detroit because I think he would have been a great fit for that team, but they need to bring in somebody offensive minded. There's been a few guys rumored to them so far. We'll see who ends up signing with them because that's going to make a big difference on who and how they're going to proceed into 2021. But yeah, Detroit, they just need to win. <laughs> like they need a good coach to bring them in and just succeed for a little while, you know? And it, maybe it'll have to, have to be after Aaron Rodgers is out of that division because right now, he just kind of runs that whole division. It's kind of like Tom Brady with the AFC East. It's just tough for any of these other guys to really compete and look like the number one team in that division unless Aaron Rodgers is just having a terrible year, right? So that's the biggest thing with that. It might have to be a couple years, but you can potentially rebuild as Detroit. You need a defensive unit. Their defense is like one of the worst in the NFL, even though they have Matt Patricia, who was the supposed guru for that New England team before he went over to Detroit. He was supposed to fix everything for the the Lions defense, and he just really underwhelmed over there. And their offense, they have no wide receivers on contract for 2021 yet I don't think that's going to maintain that way I think they re-signed Kenny Galladay but still the offensive side of the ball has a lot of holes their offensive line needs help Matt Stafford's on his last year so there it's not really appealing for the Detroit Lions either and especially when you add in that stigma of it being Detroit so those three teams nobody has been signed yet so we'll kind of watch that as it continues to go on but yeah well, it'll be interesting to see who signs with those teams because not too many suitors want to go there. But we'll be here to update you guys as it kind of goes on. And this is going to be a long off season. I'm going to be tracking. Last year, if you guys didn't listen to the podcast because it was pretty new, what I did was right before the actual season started, I went through every single team in every single division and summarized their changes. And it wasn't the best. I kind of learned as I went along for it because I was so new to the podcast game that the best way to kind of flow through those podcasts and arrange those, organize those, if you will. So what I did last year, though, is I went through all the changes, the player changes, the coaching changes, the scheme changes, the anticipated scheme changes, and it was fairly accurate for the most part. Um, when I went through my rankings for the AFC, I was actually dead on. Um, the only team that I was wrong on was the Pittsburgh Steelers. I actually had them switched with Miami. That's the only team that I missed from that entire playoff run was the uh was the Pittsburgh Steelers over the Dolphins. So I had those two switch. In the NFC, I was kind of off on a lot of the divisions. Uh, I did not have the Rams. I did not have, um, who was the other team? I don't think I had 
Uh, I had the Niners in as well over the Rams, but Niners kind of got a bad, bad beat this year with their Bosa and uh, all their injuries that they suffered this year. So I count that one as a wash. But yeah, the NFC I was not very good at this year at predicting, but the AFC I almost nailed it perfectly. So um, pretty happy about that. But I'm going to be doing that again going through all these different changes for all these different teams, summarizing it for you guys just so that you can track it because the offseason is a long, long time, right? There's a lot of changes that are made, and having that summary really was helpful for me personally to know who to target in the offseason, know which guys to avoid, and, yeah, just really use that going into the start of the fantasy season. So, that's my thoughts on the head coaches. Like I said, I'll be here for you guys all offseason answering any questions you guys have. And real quick, before I get to my NFL predictions, I am going to be in the month of March. So not this next month, but after um, after March, going into the actual NFL draft and all summer, uh, starting from March until August, I'm going to be doing my dynasty consultations that I did last year where basically if you give me your team, if you DM me on Twitter, hit me up on Reddit, wherever it is, Facebook, if you send me your team and you'd like me to look at every single uh, player that you have, give you advice, tell you what your strengths are, tell you what your weaknesses are, tell you what your long-term plan should be for your team, um, I'll do that for you guys for completely for free. So uh, I'm going to open that up here in March. So if you guys are interested in that, hit me up, let me know. And I would love to analyze your guys' teams. Um, Just it's fun for me. It gives me something to do and I like helping you guys. So uh, now that said, I'm going to roll right into my week two playoff predictions. And the games that we have going into this week are on the NFC side, the Los Angeles Rams versus the Green Bay Packers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the New Orleans Saints. Uh, for the Green Bay-Los Angeles game, my prediction is definitely Green Bay for this one, and I know it's kind of a hot take, but uh, Green Bay is just looking so good this season. Aaron Rodgers deserves to be the MVP, and I just don't know how they're going to lose at home against this beat-up Rams team who, Jared Goff, he came in and he played okay last week, but his thumb is still not fully recovered from a surgery that happened less than three weeks ago so I'm taking Green Bay home dogs here and it should be a fun game uh, Sean McVay is not somebody I'd like to write off by any means but I'm I'm just gonna pull for Aaron Rodgers MVP this season and I think he's gonna get it done Devontae Adams versus Jalen Ramsey is going to be a very fun matchup to watch in this game we'll see how that kind of shakes out and maybe the uh, lack of second wide receiver is what will ultimately bring Green Bay down because Jalen Ramsey, if anybody can shut Devontae Adams down, it would be him. So uh, that's going to be a fun matchup to watch. And then the Tampa Bay-New Orleans game, I'm actually going to take Tampa Bay here. And I know that New Orleans has beaten Tampa twice this season. They beat them both times that they played them. But knowing uh, Tom Brady, because I was a New England fan for so long, I guarantee you Tom Brady is going to come out and he's going to study this defense like no one's studying anything ever in their lives. He's going to know everything about this defense. And I would not be shocked if he doesn't have a game plan that will light this defense up. Now, it all depends whether the Tampa defense can bring the New Orleans offense down, but 
I think that this Tampa offense is just going to be coming out guns blazing. I think that they're going to beat New Orleans. New Orleans is at home, which is usually a big advantage going to the playoffs in the Superdome, but with no fans or limited capacity fans going into this season, I don't think it's going to give them that much of an advantage. So I am taking Tampa to get their revenge, go one and two against New Orleans in the game that matters this season and move on to play Green Bay in the NFC title game. And on the AFC side, we have Buffalo versus Baltimore, which should be a very fun game to watch. And then Cleveland versus Kansas City. Now, the Buffalo versus Baltimore game, I say it's going to be very fun because both of these offenses are very, very electric, right? They're very uh, run-heavy for the most part with their quarterbacks. They have very mobile quarterbacks who love to run the ball and kind of splashy Uh, passing play. Now, Josh Allen has been much better than Lamar Jackson this year in terms of passing the ball, so he has a definite edge there, but Lamar Jackson is much, much better on the ground than Josh Allen, even though Josh Allen is very good on the ground. Lamar is just a freak of nature when it comes to running the ball. Now, it's going to be interesting. This Baltimore defense is really starting to peak at the right time. Buffalo's defense has really gotten better from what they started this season. Their their defense at the start of the season was just awful. They were giving up 35, 40 points a game, and they really brought that around. And it was it's looking pretty good right now. They looked decent against the Colts. I'm going to take Baltimore in this one. I think that they're going to beat the Buffalo Bills in this game and move on to the title. I just think that this offense and this defensive unit are going to be too electric. And Josh Allen, he looked okay in that Colts game, but he looked nervous, man. I I just don't know if he's shaking all of the the woes from last year that really kind of got in his head last year. So I'm really kind of hoping that he does. I'd love to see Buffalo, even though I'm a Patriots fan, I'd love to see Buffalo in the AFC title. I think that city has earned it. Baltimore has been there multiple times the last few years. I like Lamar Jackson. He's going to have more shots, but yeah, Buffalo... It'll be fun to see them versus Kansas City, but I actually think Kansas City is going to win the other game. Speaking of Kansas City versus Cleveland, um, now I think that this game is actually going to be a lot closer than people expect in the Kansas City game because they are a team that their biggest problem this whole season has been they don't kill people enough. They leave them alive, and <laughs> that's a weird problem to have for one of the most electric offenses in the entire NFL. They've never they went on a crazy win streak this whole season and never really looked like they were in any trouble of losing. But they did not murder people like they could have. They could have been putting up sixty points a week if they really wanted to. But every time they got up in a game, they just took their foot off the gas. I'd love to see what they do against this Cleveland defense. They're going to light this defense up. The secondary in Cleveland is really, really hurting. And, I mean, if you're going to be going against the Patrick Mahomes and Sammy Watkins and Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, you do not want a weekend secondary. So I would not be shocked if the over-under in, over in this game is like around 90 points because I could see Kansas City putting up about 50 and uh, Cleveland putting up about 40 because the one thing with... With Cleveland is they are the reason why I think they have the best chance at getting the upset against Kansas City is because they are spiking at the right time and it's an unquantifiable thing is 
the momentum and the hype and uh, that that feeling of we can't lose, right? There's no way to measure that. And I think that Cleveland has won a few games in a row now, important games. Last week against the Steelers, the Browns is the Browns comment by Juju. They went out there, put up 28 points in the first quarter to zero to zero. They started playing prevent defense. The, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers started to come back in that game, but uh, just remember Cleveland could have blown them out. They could have put up 60 points to maybe 15, 20, 25 points against, uh, Pittsburgh, but they didn't, they stopped, they pulled their foot off the gas pedal, uh, similar to what Kansas city has been doing all season. And they kind of let them come back in that game to make it look closer than it was on paper. But Cleveland absolutely dismantled Pittsburgh last week. And I think that they have the confidence and the hype going into this game that they can put up a good fight. I don't think they're going to ultimately get be able to get it done, but I think it's going to be a lot closer than people think. And I I would say it's probably 55-45 Kansas City. So I'm, it's my almost upset. You know, the footballers, they have their almost upset of the week. This would definitely be my almost upset of the week. I think that Cleveland has a good chance. So we'll see how I do in this week. So just to recap that, Green Bay, Baltimore, Kansas City, and Tampa. Uh, two home dogs and two underdogs taking it and going into the title games next week. So we'll see how it goes, and hopefully I can uh, improve my odds from last week. You know, four out of six isn't bad, but man, not what I like to see. So when I'm telling you guys my prediction, I want to be 100% right, just like my mocks, right? So that's my thoughts. Now, if you guys have made it this far, thank you so much for listening. I wanted to touch on a topic that is the main meat subject of this conversation that I wanted to have with you guys today before we get into the mailbag. And that is player value for the dynasty community. And what really brought this up was I was I own Dalvin Cook in multiple leagues, right? And people have been talking about selling and buying and everything for the last couple of weeks. Sell Derrick Henry, buy uh buy AJ Brown, buy DK Metcalf, things like this. And it's so arbitrary to say that because what are you selling them for? What are you buying them for? And context is key, right? When it comes to a dynasty trade. League size, league settings, all these different things like what they have on their roster, what you have on your roster, what your needs are. And the reason why this came to my mind was, like I said, I have Dalvin Cook in multiple leagues and in my home league where I did not make playoffs. Well, I made playoffs, but I lost in the first round this last year. The one that hurts the most is my home league because that's the one I wanted to win the most, right? Well, I was looking at how to improve my roster. I was kind of doing an analysis of my own team, looking at it and thinking of what the best steps for my team would be to finally get the title in that league because I'm always competitive, but I can never get the title, right? So what do I need to do in that league to get the title? Well, I have a lot of young running backs. I have Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Miles Sanders. I have uh, DeAndre Swift. I have Devin Singletary, not that exciting. But I also have the number five pick in this upcoming draft, which could be someone like Travis Etienne, maybe knowing this draft, it, he could be someone that falls, or uh, Javante, uh, Javante Williams, or some of these other guys that are not quite as good as the top two, which is Etienne and Najee Harris, but... I could definitely get another guy in this draft if I really wanted to. So I also have Dalvin Cook. 
Well, Dalvin Cook is the guy that I want to sell because I can get the most value for him while also uh, kind of offloading an older running back in a team that is a little risky to me. And the reason why I'm down on Dalvin right now is because if you look at Minnesota, Gary Kubiak is going to be retiring this year. And that was a little blurb that kind of flew under the radar here with all the signings and the playoffs and everything like that. Gary Kubiak is from the same tree as the Kyle Shanahan tree, the Sean McVay tree. They're all part of the Mike uh, Shanahan tree, right? And he came from another tree. I forget where he, it all kind of comes from the West Coast system. And I don't, I don't remember who the original originator of that system was, but Gary Kubiak is known for being able to create an amazing run game. He he did it in Denver when he was the offensive coordinator for them. He's done it for uh, Minnesota. He's just done it consistently through his career. And we can see it with Kyle Shanahan, uh, Kevin Stefanski even, while working with uh, Gary Kubiak at their time in Minnesota. Kubiak is just very, very good at creating an amazing run system. Well, He's now gone from Minnesota. They're going to be bringing in a new offensive coordinator, basically their third offensive coordinator in three years because two uh, two years ago they had uh, Kubiak and Stefanski. Last year they just had Kubiak. Next year they're going to have a new guy completely. So it's going to be a little iffy as to what this system is going to look like. I would not be shocked if the guy that they bring in would be somebody to kind of utilize Justin Jefferson based on the success. But knowing Mike Zimmer, they're probably going to want a guy that's going to run the ball heavily a lot. But the problem is there's a lot of guys in the NFL that want to run the ball. Not all of them are successful. Like I would not be shocked if Brian Schottenheimer signs with the Minnesota Vikings. And Schottenheimer is an okay offensive coordinator, but he's nothing creative like Kubiak is, which means that Dalvin Cook could have a massive regression in everything next year. Touchdowns, catches, yardage, everything. So if Dalvin Cook's going to have a massive regression, even if he's going to be an RB1, let's say he's an RB1. He's an older RB1 who is on a second contract now. He's had a few injury concerns in the past so it makes sense to kind of want to move him right now right especially if I don't think that I'm going to be able to compete in 2021 with my roster as it is if I if I can get more value for Dalvin Cook by moving him and filling other holes on my team that'd be more valuable to me than keeping Dalvin Cook is my thought process well the problem runs into my home league is a 10 team league right And I was talking to a couple of the guys and looking at who would make sense to even offer this trade to. And the way that my league is, there's no chance that I'm ever going to be able to get the value for Dalvin Cook that he's worth. If you look at any of those like trade calculators that are out there, there's the Dynasty Trade Calculator, there's uh, DLF, they have a trade calculator. There's so many different trade calculators out there. And those are usually based on either that person's rankings or ADP or kind of a combination of both, right? So Dalvin Cook is going as the top three running back in startups right now. Not saying he doesn't deserve to be a very highly drafted running back, but I don't think he's going to finish as the RB1 again this year. 
And if I think that he's going to regress down, so already there's a discrepancy in value right there. So he's going as the top three running back. I'm not going to be able to get a return in my home league as a top three running back. So the question is, what are my options at that point? Do I take a discount on Dalvin Cook? Do I try and hold out and wait for more uh, more value to come through, wait for one of these guys to change their mind, which is very unlikely, by the way, knowing my, my league mates in that league? Or do I just hold Dalvin Cook? You can say, well, you're not getting what he's worth, so just hold him. But again, if Dalvin Cook isn't going to help me compete with my roster as is, is it worth it to hold him? And one of the trades that I got offered, and it's if you plug it into a dynasty calculator, uh, it's not even close, right? And I, I pulled it up here on the DLF trade calculator, just as an example, right? The trade is Dalvin Cook for Cam Akers and LaVisca Chenault, who both Cam Akers and Chenault showed quite a few flashes towards the end of the season this year and are very, very young compared to Dalvin Cook. Cam Akers is a stud running back who was a top five pick last year um, in fantasy, not in the actual NFL draft. And then Chenault is someone who is going to be going to a new quarterback in Trevor Lawrence and is very, very explosive. He's the very uh, kind of gadget player for the team right now. And it depends what they kind of do. Nobody knows how that's going to shake out. So Chanel is kind of risky, right? Because we don't know who Trevor Lawrence is going to favor. Uh, he could ultimately not like throwing to Chanel. And it could be DJ Chark and Tyler Johnson uh, down there. And Chenault would be the third option, which would make him basically worthless. At that point, it would be Cam Akers for Dalvin Cook. So right now, on paper, this trade is um, about a second, the 201 down in value. So I would have to ask him for Cam Akers, the LaVisca Chenault, and the 201, essentially, if this guy had the 201, which he doesn't. Um, he has the 208, so it'd be taking an even further dip right there for Dalvin Cook. And I was talking to him about this trade, and he did not want to throw in a, another pick on top of it. Now... That's the question, right? So again, I go back to it. Is is it worth it to take a discount on Dalvin Cook? Say, okay, I'll take the risk on Cam Akers and LaVisca Chenault. Is it worth it to try and hold out and see if I can negotiate in the uh, the 208 or maybe kind of work out something where I get some, I throw something else in maybe and get the uh, get a second rounder or something like that, right? At which point it just makes the trade a little bit more convoluted or do I hold Dalvin Cook? And this is something that I wanted to share with you guys because it's something that I've really been thinking about. And it's it's the case for a lot of these guys. Aaron Jones is another great example. Somebody had put out on Fancy Twitter just recently, what is Aaron Jones worth? And right now with landing spot unknown, uh, nobody knows where Aaron Jones, he's going to be a free agent. He's not going to get franchise tagged because they have A.J. Dillon and they're probably going to bring back Jamal Williams because he's going to be the cheaper option. So it's more likely that Aaron Jones is going to be on a new team in 2021. So assuming that he's going to a new team, not going back to Green Bay, what is Aaron Jones worth? Well, the easy answer is probably people will want a mid to high first round pick for Aaron Jones or more. If I'm buying Aaron Jones, because the landing spot is such a big question mark and not knowing where he could land, 
knowing that he could potentially land in a committee or something like that. I don't want to offer more than a first. I've seen multiple people say uh, a low first, a high second for Aaron Jones, which is criminal, right? He's worth more than that. But if people aren't willing to pay more than that, what is his true worth in a trade? And that goes back to this Dalvin Cook for Cam Akers and Chenault. If nobody's willing to pay what Dalvin Cook is worth, let's say Dalvin Cook is worth uh, two top five picks in a rookie draft. If no one's willing to pay that, is he actually worth that much? Now, that's where it gets back to the, well, you just hold him and wait until he drip he drops down in value. But here's the thing with, uh, with player value in Dynasty, and it's something that I've noticed multiple times over the last couple years. Right now, Dalvin Cook is worth more than Cam Akers and Chenault combined, right? Well, if Cam Akers comes out next year and starts off as a workhorse monster for the Rams and Chanel is actually Trevor Lawrence's favorite guy, their value is going to only go up from here, right? They're going to go and be more valuable. So I'm buying them at a discount right, right now, but I'm selling Dalvin Cook at a discount. But if in a year from now, Akers and Chanel would be worth more than Dalvin Cook, where I'd have to throw in Dalvin Cook in a second for those two, for example. Is it worth it to buy now or is it worth it to wait, right? Or try and get it right when their price points kind of merge. And this is kind of like a, a an economic side of the argument, right? Where you have supply and you have demand. Well, right now they're not intersecting anywhere where it makes sense, right? So you're that's where that gap is, right? Now, the question is, do you wait and you try and hit it in season before you kind of get to that point? That's the tough thing for Dynasty Trades. Now, I don't have the exact answer. It's kind of a personal preference on that, I guess. I can't tell you the right way to do it because, like I said, I could do this trade now where I trade Dalvin Cook for Cam Akers and Chenault, and both of those guys end up busting out next year. Maybe uh, Cam Akers comes out, he gets injured again, and Darrell Henderson is the number one guy. So Cam Akers has no value. And let's say that DJ Chark is just such a monster with Trevor Lawrence that Chenault no longer has any value. So at that point, I have massively lost this trade, right? Where at the same time, like I mentioned before, if these two come out and they start killing it, well, now they're they're worth twice as much as Dalvin Cook because they're both studs. Well, now I've massively won that trade. So you really have to look at trades. And this is why trades are so subjective to personal opinion. And like I said, I wanted to just touch on the the value price point argument side of things and just lay it out for you guys. Because like I said, I don't have an exact answer for you. I have a feeling of what is best. Personally, if you knew, my thoughts are, if you knew that Cam Akers and Chenault would be worth more this time next year, I would take that trade every day of the week. But the risk is what you have to really question. Maybe I can hold out and maybe I can talk to him. Uh, he's probably going to listen to this podcast, so maybe I'm not. But uh, maybe I can talk to him about throwing in another pick or something to kind of limit that gap a little bit where it kind of limits the risk for me a little bit more. But yeah, it's it's very, very interesting kind of a concept that goes into these dynasty trades that people don't really think about because you can want something and a player can be worth that on paper but if no one's willing to pay that are they really truly worth that much in a trade that's something you have to ask yourself are you willing to take that dip I'm more the aggressive type like I said for this trade 
particularly, Dalvin Cook, to me, doesn't help me win this next year because of my other running backs. I have really good guys coming up. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, he's taken a bit of a hit in value. I think that he's still going to be very good in the NFL. He's very, very young. He's a rookie. They can improve. Now, DeAndre Swift, again, I think that he's going to be just fine. Miles Sanders is a little bit of a question mark, but I think all three of those guys are going to be just fine going forward. I can get another guy in this year's uh, rookie draft that will probably be able to fill some holes, maybe make a couple cheap offers on somebody like Keyshawn Vaughn or something like that, and uh, really kind of go for that angle of getting usable piecing guys in who aren't necessarily as good as Dalvin Cook, but will be able to fill some holes, right? So I need the youth for this team, and I have other holes on my roster that I need to fill. So something that I needed to think about, because Dalvin Cook, like I said, I love the the guy. I don't want to trade him because he is extremely good. I think he'll be a top six running back, even without Gary Kubiak. I I see a regression coming for Dalvin Cook in 2021, and I think that he's going to take a little bit of a hit, but I still think he's going to finish as an RB1. He's just too talented to not finish that high. So that's just my thoughts on this whole thing. Let me know what you guys think. Is it worth it to take a dip on a player's value now for something you think is going to be worth more later? Or do you try and just uh, hold the guy or do you try and sell high, right? Do you hold out until somebody offers you what you think that Dalvin Cook is worth? Honestly, I want to know your guys' opinion on this one because, like I said, I don't have a, a hard, cold factual answer for you as to what way is better because nobody can see the future. We don't know how values are going to change in a year's time, but you kind of just have to trust your gut on it and make the best decision that you can at the time. So let me know what your guys' thoughts are. Again, hit me up on Twitter, on Facebook, and uh, really looking forward to hearing from you guys on this one as well. Now, the last thing I want to do, this is my first ever mailbag for the podcast, and I am super excited. Uh, Thank you guys so much for sending in these questions. I really like some of these questions, but I'm going to cover these, and in case you guys don't follow me on Twitter, uh, please do give me a follow. Push the podcast to your friends. If, If you guys like this podcast, honestly, the best way for me to grow this podcast is for you guys to just tell your friends. Uh, Try and follow me on Twitter. Tell your friends to follow me on Twitter. The bigger audiences that I can see on Twitter and on Facebook, uh, the better it is for me to just get the podcast out to more people. That's all I'm really looking to do is get more feedback from you guys, get more followers to be able to see the podcast and give me feedback because I do enjoy doing this. It's a it's a very fun hobby for me to do in my downtime, you know. Uh, so hopefully you guys enjoy it as well. But yeah, it's uh. It's always fun to hear what you guys think as well. But again, if you guys aren't following me on Twitter, I do also have a Reddit page. Um, There's a Dynasty Fantasy Football Reddit page, and I've been posting my podcast on there, and that's where most of these questions came from. So if you guys are from the Reddit, uh, thank you so much for tuning in, and thank you for sending me those questions. Now, the first question is... Is the 2020 rookie class due for regression since they were playing against defenses with shortened preseasons and additional obstacles this year? And the easy answer to this is no, because the thing with the 2020 rookie class is, for the most part, there's a few outliers who really stood out in year one. Um, 
Justin Jefferson is the biggest example. Uh, there's probably a regression coming for Justin Jefferson just, just because what he did was outlandish, especially for a rookie. What he did as a rookie was just insane. Unless he's the best wide receiver and prospect that we've seen in the last decade or more, it's unlikely that he's going to continue those numbers going into 2021. But I don't think that it's going to regress enough that it matters, right? And on the flip side, like T Higgins is another guy who kind of stood out on this one as well. He had a very, very good rookie season with Joe Burrow, but he kind of fell off as soon as Burrow went down. Now on the flip side, a lot of these guys did not have amazing rookie seasons. Uh, CD Lamb, for example, he was considered the number one, one uh, a, I guess for this last year's class with Jerry Judy as the one B. And both of those guys had CD Lamb definitely had a better season than Jerry Judy, but neither one of them had an a season that you'd be happy about, you know, compared to Justin Jefferson, compared to even T Higgins or Brandon Ayuk. Those guys definitely outperformed CD Lamb and uh and Jerry Judy on a per game basis. But I think that these guys are only going to get better as time goes on. That's usually how it goes. You don't really see rookies come out and kill it this this crazily as we did this last year. Now, there's an argument to be made about the regression, but I think that a lot of these guys are going to actually progress forward and take a step forward. Like Keyshawn Vaughn is a perfect example of a guy that I think is going to have a massive role. And A.J. Dillon are both guys that I think are going to have a massive role in 2021 because of the situation around them. Keyshawn Vaughn, he just went to a bad landing spot because Bruce Arians, Mr. Purple Face, he uh he just never uses his running backs that are young. He always leans on the vets. That's something that I put out on Twitter. I did a deep dive into Bruce Arians and he does not utilize his rookie running backs. So unless he they were taken with a first round pick, a top 15, 16 pick, uh, he does not utilize them. So I think that Keyshawn Vaughn is going to be someone that gets a lot of play in the next couple of weeks. We can really see that here last week. They put a lot of uh, game time on Keyshawn Vaughn in a playoff game. And if they didn't like Keyshawn Vaughn, he would not be playing. So I think that he's going to have a massive opportunity to step forward in 2021. Whether or not he seizes it, that's another question. But it's somebody that I'm taking my bet on, and I'd be buying cheap while I can now. And A.J. Dillon, the same thing. He's going to be somebody who's going to take a step forward uh, because Aaron Jones is probably going to be on a new team like I just covered, which means that there's going to be a lot of carries for A.J. Dillon. And they spent a second-round pick on A.J. Dillon. They're going to want to make that pick look good. And they did already in one game this year. So I think that they're going to really kind of bring him into the offense. So there's a lot of these guys. Brian Edwards is another guy. Henry Ruggs, whether, whatever you think about Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, um, CD Lamb. There's a lot of the uh, later guys that are going to be taking a step forward. And another guy that I'm going to throw out here too, that I think is going to take a big step forward in this year is uh, Tyler Johnson with Tampa Bay. He's a rookie. He is I think that Chris Godwin is a free agent and he's going to be gone this season. I believe that he's going to be going to a new team. I don't think that they're going to franchise tag Chris Godwin this year. So he's going to be on a new team because they don't have the money to pay him. So Mike Evans is still going to be there. He's a stud. 
I think that they're actually going to roll with Scotty Miller and Tyler Johnson as their two other guys. Tyler Johnson had flashes when Scotty Miller was down, and I think uh, both uh, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans were out in one of those games, and, and Tyler Johnson just lit it up. So he's someone that I'm also trying to buy super cheap and uh, really trying to get a couple shares of now because I think that kid is going to be a stud here in the next couple years. So, yes, I, I think that there's some regression coming for some of the guys at the top. The uh, Justin Jeffersons, maybe Ayuk, but he didn't play a full season, so he might finish a little bit more stable next year. And uh, Jonathan Taylor is a guy that is probably going to regress a little bit because of the new quarterback situation. Uh, their offensive line is getting older. They already had get one guy retire, so it's kind of hit or miss. This is a very general question, but generic question I guess but that's my thoughts on that so next question is how many quarterbacks is enough in a 12 team super flex league is it safe to go with two studs and draft other positions in the rookie draft or are three four five quarterbacks necessary also what is the 2020 class like Um, is it worth giving up picks from 2022 to move into the 2021 draft so I'll touch on the 2022 class at first. There's guys that are already being looked at right now. Uh, There's always going to be guys that are being watched. But so far, unless somebody has a Joe Burrow or uh, Justin Fields kind of step up in this upcoming season, right now they're probably in the range of the Trey Lances, Zach Wilsons, Justin Fields. There's no Trevor Lawrence on paper right now as far as I'm aware for 2022 so if you're looking for a quarterback it would probably be safer to get one in 2021 after you see the landing spots but it doesn't it doesn't hurt the the hardest part about giving up a 2022 pick is we just don't know what guys are going to make a splash next year because there's always guys that come out of nowhere especially a quarterback for these teams because they transfer uh, there's so much mobility in college that you can't expect all of their coordinators make such a big deal uh, in college unlike the NFL where you can have a great head coach and a bad OC and your offense can still click right well in college if you have a bad OC your team is just in massive trouble. So uh, it's very tough to predict who's going to be taking a massive step forward in 2022. So as of right now, like I said, there's no Trevor Lawrence. There's no guy that's going to be really worth giving up that much for. Uh, They're going to be about in the same range as the Trey Lances, the Justin Fields, or the Kyle Wilsons um, in this upcoming draft. So, or Zach Wilson, sorry, not Kyle. Um, Now, as for how many quarterbacks is enough, this is a funny question because right now I have this exact predicament in one of my leagues. I have, it's a high dollar league, so it's a very, very big buy-in, and I right now have Russell Wilson and Lamar Jackson, and I'm not feeling as good about that now that Ryan Schottenheimer's out, and they're probably going to be bringing in Anthony Lynn to be the OC for Seattle, so Russell Wilson could take a big hit this upcoming year, which is why I'm trying to move him while we speak, but my number three guy is actually Andy Dalton, so I really don't have a third quarterback for this team which doesn't feel great. Um, it's super flex. So the biggest thing is to understand with super flex, 
I I understand the argument that quarterbacks are the end all be all. They are extremely necessary, right? You want to be starting two quarterbacks every single week, and that is generally true. But people focus too hard on that aspect sometimes because while you want to be starting a quarterback every single week, you can start other positions over the quarterback in spot situations as necessary, right? If, uh, for example, let's say your second quarterback was Russell Wilson. In week 16, he only put up 16 points. There's times where uh, Marvin Jones in week 16, or I think it was week 17, sorry, let me go back. Week 17 was when Russell Wilson put up like 16 points. Marvin Jones put up about 35 points, right? Starting Marvin Jones over Russell Wilson would have been the better play in your super flex slot, but it's hard to make that call. So when it comes to the number of guys, two studs is definitely what you want at minimum. Um, I prefer having three to four solid startable guys and the the third and fourth guy don't have to be anything exciting like a Kirk Cousins, Andy Dalton this last year, uh, Nick Mullins when he was the starter, Mitch Trubisky as the number three guy or Nick Foles like those guys are going to be able to get you a solid floor of like 12 to 13 points depending on your league settings so they're they're not terrible to own and you don't have to invest too much into those guys because they're not long-term options but if you can have two studs and then one or two of those guys behind them that's great if you don't have two studs that's where you really want to go for depth because you have to be playing the uh the matchup game every single week. Let's say you have Lamar Jackson, but your next guy is a Kirk Cousins, for example. And while Kirk was very good this last year, he's not what I would consider a stud, right? So in that situation, you have one stud, one decent option, and you probably want like three other guys on your bench that you can plug if it's a better matchup than what Kirk Cousins had. So that's my thought on that. It really depends on your your roster makeup. You don't have to play two quarterbacks every single week. So that's the one thing I do want to remind people sometimes when it comes to Superflex. Now, again, I understand the argument behind why you start two quarterbacks. They have a much higher statistical chance of outscoring Marvin Jones every single week. But it is possible if it's a very, very plus matchup for another skill position and a very negative matchup for your quarterback to play somebody else over them if you don't have the depth there. So just something I want to remind you. But yeah, like I said, if you have two studs, probably three to four guys. If you have one stud, probably four to five guys. That's what I kind of lean with because I'm in, I think, three or four super flex leagues now, and that's kind of my approach to it in all of those leagues. All right, next question. Uh, sell Clyde Edwards-Alaire now or realize he's Geo in a great offense next year? Now, I've seen a lot of sell Clyde now. And again, Clyde Edwards-Alaire was a very, very big investment. People paid a lot for him. He was the almost consensus 101 after this last Dynasty rookie draft. And people are feeling very disappointed if you took Clyde over someone like Jonathan Taylor because Jonathan Taylor has really turned it on these last couple weeks. And it really stinks that Clyde Edwards-Alaire got injured here at the end of the season. But it is very likely he is going to play against Cleveland tomorrow. So we will see kind of a 
second chance at what he's going to be able to do this year in the next couple of weeks. So I I don't think that selling Clyde is worth it right now because I don't think you're going to get what you paid. You if you can get the 101, I would consider it. Uh, you got to remember that he is still with the Kansas City Chiefs. They took him in the first round. They are invested in this kid and they want to make him a star. They don't want their first round pick to look like a bust. So they're going to try and get this guy to be very good. And Clyde Edwards-Alaire, say what you will about his talent. He was the number four talented guy in this draft class for me personally. But the kid is still pretty talented. He can fit into this system and he can perform and produce. His biggest problem this last year was he wasn't getting the touchdowns. When he was running the ball between the 20s, he looked electric. He looked so smooth. They called him Clyde the Glide for a long stretch of the season. And yes, he wasn't giving you fantasy relevant performances every single week, but we all knew this was going to be a problem coming out if you listen to some of us because he cannot pass protect. And there's a lot of rookie running backs that can't pass protect, but that's something that you learn with time. He's kind of a smaller guy, so it's kind of tougher for him to get into the position to pass protect. But, you know, that's something that you learn. You learn kind of how to chip shot those guys and and really kind of mold that into your game as time goes on. So next year, I think that what he'd really focus on in this offseason is that because you saw so many times this year he got pulled off on third downs because he can't pass pro. So he's not getting those dump off passes that a lot of these other guys are getting opportunities at like DeAndre Swift. So all Clyde Edwards Alaire needs to do is learn how to pass protect and he'll be a fine fantasy option. People are kind of freaking out a little bit too much on Clyde in my opinion. I think that he's still tied to the number one quarterback option in the NFL right now with Andy Reid, the number one head coach for an offensive system in the NFL right now and they're going to try and make this kid a stud. So don't give up all hope on Clyde just yet. There are better days ahead for him, but yeah, they're they're the selling of him is going a little bit extreme in my opinion, especially for draft picks where you don't even know where the number one guy, Najee Harris, is going to land, for example, or Travis Etienne. You don't know where those guys are going to be. It could be a worse situation. So you just sold Clyde for uh, the number one New England running back for next year, right? So uh, hold on, be a little patient with Clyde. Now, another question that uh, I got was trade deadlines. I've covered this in a podcast a couple weeks ago, uh, whether or not we should have trade deadlines in our dynasty leagues. And just to recap what I talked about on that podcast, I think that we should have no trade deadlines because it makes things more interesting for the bottom teams with good players. It lets them sell their players at a premium. I just spent a long, long time talking about how Dalvin Cook is should I take a dip on his value now because it's the offseason on a trade for a couple other players? Well, <clears throat> if I know that my uh, the guy that's going into the finals needs a running back, let's say his running back is uh, it, they got injured, you know, or they're they're just playing a very tough matchup, and he really wants to win the title. Well, he can sell out to go get Dalvin Cook, and the best part of that is. You don't even know if Dalvin Cook's going to have a good game. You could sell out, cash in on Dalvin Cook if you're a bottom team, unlikely, because Dalvin Cook was so good. But if you knew that Dalvin Cook, if you didn't make playoffs and you wanted to sell Dalvin Cook to a playoff contender, 
and they thought that they were going to be able to win with him, and he ended up having a bad game. You sold out, and he didn't even get the title. So that's the whole thing with all these trades. I always see this so many times where, well, they didn't veto this trade because, or they they should veto this because it's unfair. Nobody knows the future. I've said this multiple times. Nobody can see the future. Nobody knows how a player is going to perform. In week 16, Dalvin Cook could put up five points. He could fumble three times. You don't know what's going to happen. Nobody knows what's going to happen. So saying that it feels unfair is complete BS because you can't see the future. So you're just mad that you didn't get that trade, right? So that's my personal opinion on that. So I think it'd be more fun in Dynasty Leagues to let people sell out to contenders. It would give contenders more reason to sell their picks, to sell their players uh, to these lower guys. It would help turnover in these leagues a little bit more each and every year. So that's my opinion. Get rid of trade deadlines. They're kind of stupid. They're for redraft only. Get rid of them. Now, next question. Best veteran running backs to buy cheaply for 2021 for a contender? There are a few guys here that are very interesting and you might be able to get them very cheaply because of the question marks around them. Now, the number one guy I'd list here is Chris Carson is uh, an unknown landing spot. He's going to be a free agent. Nobody knows where he's going to go. Is he going to go back to Seattle? If he goes back to Seattle, man, he's going to be worth whatever you pay for him because he is going to be run into the ground because Pete... Carroll, he wants to run the ball. That's why he fired his OC. So uh, I, Chris Carson is one who doesn't get the respect that he's probably owed at this point. Um, the other guy is another great example is uh, Raheem Mostert. He's another example of a guy who's going to be the number one guy. All of the running backs except Raheem Mostert are free agents for San Francisco. I very highly expect them to draft somebody this year because there's a lot of good guys in this upcoming draft, and they have neglected that position for so long. They're paying four guys to do what probably one or two guys with a Travis Etienne or Najee Harris. If they got one of those guys, imagine what that team could do with one of those guys on offense. It would be insane. They could kill people every single week because Najee Harris with Kyle Shanahan, oh, it'd be terrifying. But They've been paying four guys, Tevin Coleman, uh, <laughs> Jermichael Hasty, uh, Raheem Moster, all these guys to do what one guy could do. So I actually think that they're going to go running back pretty highly in this year's draft just because there's some good options in the second and third round that they could get and that would fill a massive need for them. But that said, Raheem Moster is someone who's going to be still used as they work in this rookie. And he might not be used in the playoff come playoff time but he could get you to a potential playoff run so he's somebody that I would possibly look at for a cheap one uh, Kenyon Drake is another guy I think that he's going to land somewhere he's probably going to land in a in a committee but man if he lands in the right spot he could be very interesting as well so there's a couple options um, David Johnson is another guy I think is worth a look because uh, Houston can't cut him and they're going to be probably moving Deshaun Watson this offseason which means they're probably going to try and lean on the run game if they get Tua in there or whoever it is that they get whether it's a rookie or it's Tua doesn't matter they're going to try and ease that guy into the system so 
I think that they're going to lean on David Johnson quite heavily. And David Johnson is old as dirt at this point for a running back. So he's someone that I could see going fairly cheaply and also being able to return fairly decent value for you in your leagues. Now, the next question is favorite landing spots for rookie RBs and rookie wide receivers this year. And where do I like them to go? And this one I'm going to cover in a couple weeks because I want to see where, as I start going through this mock draft and kind of laying out and doing my research on all these rookies, I'd love to answer this one right now, but I don't have all the research done on the rookie prospects. And to go on only the guys that I know would not be very fair to you guys because I want to give you genuine analysis behind it. But I I can give you a couple, and I think that these are actually pretty legit, right? Now, for the running back, or for the wide receivers, I'll, I'll start with them because they're a little bit more interesting to me because I've done more research into those guys. But I'm going to be doing a full breakdown of these guys here in the next couple weeks. Now, wide receivers, I think that Devonta Smith is actually going to be the first wide receiver drafted in this year's draft. I think he's going to be drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles. They still need weapons. Alshon Jeffrey's going to be gone. Uh, their Deshaun Jackson's going to be gone. Zach Ertz is probably going to be gone from this team, which leaves them with uh, Jalen Rager, Greg Ward, and pretty much nobody else, right? Dallas Goddard is their only other option. So I think that they're going to take Devonta Smith because last year, if you remember in the draft, they got crucified for taking Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson. I personally think that Jamar Chase is the better option at wide receiver for a team that needs one. I like Jamar Chase. He's my wide receiver one. But I feel like with this year, with COVID and everything that's gone on this year, with Jamar Chase opting out of college for the year to prepare for the draft, I think that people forgot how good he was. And people saw Devonta Smith very recently. He won the Heisman. He killed uh, Ohio State in the championship game. He murdered them, right? So I think that they're going to feel compelled to take the number one option in public opinion, which is going to be Devonta Smith. And there's also a connection with Jalen Hurts to Alabama. I think that Jamar Chase would be the better option, but again, that's my thought process on why the Eagles take Devonta Smith. Now, Jamar Chase is another guy. He's probably the number two option in this draft. I think that he's actually going to go to the Detroit Lions. Like I mentioned before earlier, they have no wide receivers on draft for next year and on their team. So I think that they're going to re-sign Kenny Galladay. They're going to get a guy or two at some point in free agency, but I really think they're going to make a splash. They're going to try and keep Matthew Stafford, in my opinion, just to see what he can do for this team. And they're going to bring in Jamar Chase to be across from Kenny Galladay. And that would be a very nice landing spot because him and Matt Stafford, I think, would be a very powerful duo. I think Matt Stafford would be able to feed him and Kenny perfectly fine no matter who the offensive coordinator is so I think that those two I'll just touch on those two because they're the number one number two guys and I'll do the same for the running backs I actually think that um, the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to trap they're going to draft Najee Harris in the first round and I actually think that the Buffalo Bills are going to draft Travis Etienne in the first round 
And that's a little bit controversial because if you talk to someone like PFF, there should be no running backs until like the fifth round. But in reality, there's going to be at least one, maybe two running backs to go in the first round. And because of the draft capital situation with the, or the, the, not the draft capital, but the cap space issue with the Pittsburgh Steelers, they have to create a ton of cap space. They have like no money next year. They're paying like seven guys, 75% of their cap for next year, including Big Ben as like 45 million or something like that. It's crazy. So they have no money to bring in a free agent running back. They have no money to re-sign James Conner for this team. So that tells me that they're going to try to get somebody in the draft. Their second-round pick is going to be pretty low because they were a playoff team. I don't think that they're going to be able to wait. I think that they're going to feel compelled to take a running back in the first round, really kind of just solidify that position, get one of these top two guys because there's such a value over the, the next tier of running backs. I think it's going to be Najee Harris because of the pass-catching ability and his explosiveness and also, again, recency bias. People just saw Najee Harris light it up in the national championship game, the biggest game of the season. So while Travis Etienne might actually be the number one guy at the running back position in my book, I think that Najee Harris is going to be the first one drafted. Now, Travis Etienne to the Buffalo Bills, I think that we saw last week and we're going to see this week, the biggest weakness with this Bills offense is their run game. And the great news for the Buffalo Bills is if you look at their team, what do the Buffalo Bills need right now on their team, on the defensive side of the ball? Nothing really stands out. They could use depth at all these positions. They could use minor upgrades here or there. On the offensive side of the ball, again, they could use upgrades at a few minor positions, but the Buffalo Bills are one of the most solid rosters in the NFL right now as a whole team perspective. They're solid on the offensive side. They're solid on the defensive side. I think that they're going to feel okay with drafting a running back in the first round just because it's going to be their biggest need and Travis Etienne will be the best option available by their pick. And I feel like they will think that he's the best solution to what their problems are. So I think that he's going to help the the Buffalo Bills the most because he will be able to do what Devin Singletary does, which is catch the ball very fluidly, and also what uh, Zach Moss does, which is power through guys at the same time. So he'll be a perfect blend for both of those guys because they're trying to get something out of these two guys, and it's just not working. So they need a running back, and that's my thoughts. Now, I'll touch on the, the real quick, I'll touch on tight end too, just because I have fallen in love with this guy. I'm going to be targeting him in probably every single draft, but his Kyle Pitts is the number one tight end prospect. His landing spot's going to be very interesting because in terms of pure talent, he's a top five pick for this NFL draft class. In terms of pure talent, if you exclude all the quarterback needy teams and how overvalued the quarterback is in some cases in the NFL, I think that Kyle Pitts would be a top five talent, just pure talent. Now, his landing spot, though, after doing a couple mock drafts, every single time it's just landing to this team. The Los Angeles Chargers is where I think that Kyle Pitts is ultimately going to end up. And the reason why, if you look at the Chargers, their offense is still just fine. They have Keenan Allen to a long-term contract. Mike Williams is on his last year of his contract. 
Uh, they could use somebody there probably, but their offensive line is their biggest issue. But they're losing Hunter Henry, who's a bl- blocking tight end, and there's no way that Hunter Henry is going to be back with this team. They don't play, pay players. So Hunter Henry is going to be probably more than likely a New England Patriot. So if he's going to a new team, they are going to have a massive hole at tight end. And if at number 12 overall, Kyle Pitts is still probably going to be there. I don't think anybody above him, above the Chargers, is going to take him. So I think that he's going to be the best value available, fills a need, and also low-key helps their offensive line because Kyle Pitts is a decent blocker. He's not the best blocker we've ever seen, but his ability to catch the ball, this kid is going to be electric. And if he actually does end up with uh, Justin Justin Herbert, man, that offense is going to sing next year. So that's something that I'm watching for. I really hope that happens. I really, really hope that happens because if you remember last year, Hunter Henry was averaging like seven or eight targets a game with Justin Herbert. That's insane. Kyle Pitts is going to kill it with Herbert next year if he's getting that many targets. He's not going to have a 50% catch rate like Hunter Henry was on those targets. So, uh, yeah, that's my thoughts on that. I, I would love to see Kyle Pitts in the Los Angeles Chargers next year. Now, next question is the Brian Schottenheimer firing. What does that mean? Uh, what's going to happen with Chris Carson? Do they re-sign him now? And what does it all mean for Seattle? Now, Losing Brian Schottenheimer isn't as big a blow as people kind of think it is. Schottenheimer was not the best offensive coordinator. He was very kind of bland and vanilla. He had some interesting schemes, but the biggest problem is if you look at, and people have been wondering what happened to Seattle. Why did they start so hot and then they just disappeared? Well, they very clearly have been able to track it back to this simple choice by Pete Carroll. In the start of the season, they were the number one team at passing on first and second down compared to running the ball. They were like 31 or 32 in the NFL in terms of running the ball on first and second down. Well, they got spanked by the Buffalo Bills in the middle of the season. The next week, Pete Carroll completely reversed it and went back to running. They went from like 31 or 32 in the NFL at running on first and second down to like top five in one week. They just forced the run on early downs, which put them in third and long very, very consistently. So because that's also when Chris Carson got hurt and they just didn't have the running guys that they needed for this team. So if that's the case... That's when they started losing. They looked terrible. It's really, really concerning. My my biggest hope is that Chris, that Pete Carroll is not a terrible coach and that he realizes that running the ball and forcing the run is what caused them to lose the game. It'll be interesting to see if they bring in Anthony Lynn that just says that they're going to run the ball on basically all three downs until they get a first down. It, it's not great for Russ. It's not great for the wide receivers for this team. It's just really going to put them behind the eight ball a lot more on offense. That's the biggest problem. So I'm not super thrilled about it. I'm thrilled for whoever the running back is. Whoever, If it is Carson, I think that it's going to be a great option. In terms of how likely it is that they bring back Carson, 
I wouldn't be shocked if they do bring back Carson. Uh, he's he's kind of someone that I think is going to be. He's a Pete Carroll guy through and through. You know, he's a hardworking guy, power nose runner, and he just really is is a hard runner, which is what Pete Carroll really likes out of his guys. But at the same time, Chris Carson was an undrafted or a seventh round pick, I think. Um, so he really hasn't gotten any money whatsoever so far. So I could see him kind of wanting to go sign for somebody who's going to be able to pay him something before he ultimately dies in the NFL because the dude runs his body so hard. So I don't know if Chris Carson's ultimately going to want to go back to Seattle. It depends what they offer him. Uh, I don't have an answer for you on that one. I don't know if firing Schottenheimer gives any credence to the to the chances that Carson comes back here. I think they're going to bring somebody in, whether it's Carson or whether it's another free agent. I personally think that they're going to try and bring in someone like Aaron Jones. Uh, I think that Aaron Jones is the exact solution for what they're looking for. Uh, he's kind of a hard-nosed runner, but he can also be kind of elusive and fluid in the passing game as well. So that's my thoughts there. Uh, and Penny is someone who's kind of interesting for this backfield. They're really kind of using Penny a lot more towards the end of the year. He did come off that ACL tear, so he was definitely not fresh when he started running the ball, but he's someone that's worth a flyer. It depends what you have to give up for him. If it's anything more than a second, I don't think it's worth it. I'd maybe consider a second for him, but again, you're risking giving up maybe too much for for Penny at this point. Penny's not too old, which isn't the worst case, but... Uh, it's, yeah, it's just, it's tough to imagine him being able to finally become fantasy relevant after all this time of holding Penny. I love the talent. I really was sad when he actually went down last year with the ACL tear, but he could always come back and I'm not throwing it out completely. I'm just being very hesitant and hedging my bets essentially. So, uh, Penny could be a huge buy low, but it depends what he's going to cost. And the good news with Penny is he is only 24 years old, so he's not terribly old just yet, and he doesn't have a lot of wear and tear on him. So, yeah, he could be worth it if it's worth a second. So, something to think about. Uh, Next question is the Eagles QB situation. And that's going to be very tough to give a prediction on because they don't have a head coach just yet. So, I would love to break down and give you the perfect analysis as to who's going to be the number one guy for this team. Uh, In my opinion, it should definitely be Jalen Hurts. I think that Jalen Hurts won that locker room over. I think that he's just got more of a connection with most of those guys. I don't think Chris Carson is going to be the guy for this team. I I think that they're ultimately going to have to make a decision on Carson, whether they move him, uh, whether they try and renegotiate his salary down to a lower value so that they can trade him, what it's going to be, whether they just cut him outright. I highly doubt that because of the salary cap implications. So yeah, it's kind of a mess right now. And I think that's why it's not a very uh, desirable head coaching landing spot just yet you haven't seen too many guys interested in going there just yet so they've taken quite a few interviews but none of them have been super exciting so far so we'll see who ultimately goes there but that's going to be the biggest decider on who the starting quarterback is going to be personally like I said I think that Jalen Hurts is the guy that won the locker room I just don't see Carson being able to take back control 
the only way to, for them to do it would be to probably trade Jalen Hurts, but I just don't see Howie Roseman doing that at this time. So it's it's a very messy situation, and they never should have drafted Jalen Hurts if they wanted to stick with Carson, or they never should have re-signed Carson to that massive extension. They Howie Roseman, I think, is one of the worst GMs in the NFL. He gets a lot of credit because they won a Super Bowl a few years ago, but, man, he... I think he's very, very overrated. I'll say it that way. So, um, yeah, that's my thoughts on that. Depending on who it is, too. If it's Chris Carson, by the way, in terms of fantasy implications, I think Chris Carson hurts Miles Sanders much more than Jalen Hurts does because Jalen Hurts is a mobile guy. I think that he's going to be able to open up the run game for Miles Sanders a lot more because people are going to have to consider him taking off at any point right we've seen this multiple times all over the place he could vulture more touchdowns away from Miles Sanders which would be the biggest fear but uh, I think that he'll open up the run game more for Miles Sanders conversely though I think that Jalen Hurts is going to be worse for Dallas Goddard than Carson Wentz is because we've seen time and time again Carson Wentz loves to go over the middle to his tight ends and I think that's going to be the biggest detriment to Dallas Goddard's value is just that he's not getting dumped off anymore by Carson Wentz time and time again we'll see maybe Jalen Hurts will be able to dump off to him Uh, we didn't have a big enough sample size with Jalen Hurts and Dallas Goddard on the field so it's kind of tough to predict that so we'll see going into next year but I actually do think that Dallas Goddard takes a little bit of a hit with Jalen Hurts as the starting quarterback for this team and the wide receivers are very tough to predict Uh, Devonta Smith coming in would be kind of interesting but Man, Jalen Hurts was very, very accurate compared to Carson Wentz this last year. So it'll be fun to see who they get as their head coach and their offensive coordinator, but that's just something we're going to have to watch. I don't have a definitive answer for you just yet. Next question is, what is my favorite scoring format Uh, right now? (laughs) This guy was a big fan of points per first down league. Um, I've never actually done one of those leagues. I've always wanted to try one of those, a guillotine league and a vampire league. I've never tried one of those, but I'd always love to just to see if they're any fun or or not because they're different, you know, which different can be good. But right now my favorite is just PPR. I do like six point touchdown and I like super flex and I like tight end premium because tight end premium is it just makes things so much more fun because tight ends are actually valuable. (laughs) And right now tight ends just suck. It's just such a landscape of death and despair for the tight end position. If you don't have Darren Waller, Travis Kelsey, or uh, even Kittle when he's healthy, because they're just, there's nobody. I mean, it's, it's spotty. There's nobody that's consistent. It's just not fun for the position. That's why I'm really excited with Kyle Pitts because I think Kyle Pitts is a answer to that position. But yeah, tight end premium has just been one of the most fun. It is kind of broken if you do have Travis Kelsey. Like he just puts up absurd numbers every single week. Him and him and Darren Waller. I guess it really just depends on what your premium is. Uh, I'm in a league where I have Travis Kelsey, and it's a uh, one full extra point per catch, so he gets two points per catch. And I mean, when he's averaging like eight to ten catches a game, that's insane value that you're getting off the tight end premium for Travis Kelsey. He's number one fantasy scorer this last year 
by a mile. I don't even think anybody's close to him. Like De- DeAndre or uh, Devontae Adams was the number two guy. Travis Kelsey actually beat Devontae Adams in tight end premium for a full point per catch league. So that's just crazy. I love that league format. And I also love Superflex because, again, it puts a lot of value on the quarterback position. It puts kind of all four of the positions in equal value. I'm in my home league, which is a one quarterback, no tight end premium. It's just a standard PPR league and four points per passing touchdown. So quarterbacks just aren't very worth it. They're not very valuable. Uh, Tight ends aren't very valuable. So it's mostly almost every trade is just trading for draft picks, running backs, or wide receivers. So it gets kind of boring a little bit where I'm in a super flex tight end premium league where all of the positions are are about equal in value, and I like that a lot more. So that's just my thoughts. Um, But again, I'd love to try some of these different scoring formats. They're always more fun. Uh, Now, next question is, looking to start a Dynasty league, uh, none of them have played Dynasty. So what are some... tips for startup leagues, snaker auction, roster settings, things like that. Uh, My tips are, first off, you have to figure out what type of format you like. Uh, Just like the previous question, what do you want to do? How many people do you want to start every single week? I would say the standard is probably 10 guys starting. No kickers, no defense. Get that crap out of here. Don't do any kickers or defense. But personally, I really like six-point passing touchdowns because it just it evens out the mobile guys and the very pass-happy guys in the NFL. Like a Patrick Mahomes is very much on par with someone like Lamar Jackson because Lamar has a ton of rushing yards, which are broken for a quarterback. They're always the Konami code is what they're joked about on fantasy Twitter because they just get so many more points because they're running the ball so much. Well, if you're getting more points per passing touchdown and you're equal in their rushing touchdowns that they put up, it really evens the playing field for the quarterback position, and it puts a lot more value on those uh, less mobile guys. So that's why I like six-point passing touchdown. Now, uh, for running backs, I like two running backs. Two wide receivers I think is probably more ideal. A lot of my leagues now are three wide receivers. It seems like people are going with three wide receivers a lot more. I don't really like that because I like having more uh, flexibility to not have to have three studs at a position. That's kind of tough. So it's just it makes it more fun when you have less starting positions because you have to make more decisions, right? If I only have nine spots, I have to choose who I want to start every single week versus just plug and play of like, well, I have to start this guy. I have to start this guy. So um, I'd probably say one quarterback, two running backs, two receivers, a tight end, make it tight end premium. You'll have a lot more fun, Uh, two flex and a super flex spot. You can even make it three flex just for a little bit of – versatility there uh, but also make it a super flex Uh, PPR is the way that I like it as well um, for roster settings and you typically want a fairly deep bench for a dynasty league Uh, probably about 20 to 22 would be for a 12 team I'd probably say 24 for a 10 team probably about 26 28 and then um, 
yeah, you want a deeper bench. Uh, some people do taxi squad. I wouldn't recommend that as well. If you're doing a taxi squad, maybe do like three or four. I've been in a couple leagues where they do like 10 guys for the taxi squad, which I think is just too many guys for the taxi. So try and limit that if you're going to do it. It makes it more, uh, more valuable to make decisions. And that's what I like in my dynasty leagues. I don't want it to be easy for people where they just have, they have an easy road out, right? I want them to have to make a choice. And that's what I try to do with my roster settings. Now for the actual startup, I would definitely make it um, snake. Uh, unless you have a lot of experience with auction draft, I'm going to be doing an auction startup later this year. Um, I'm thinking about recording it for you guys to listen to just to hear some, hear me fail basically, because I've never done an auction draft and it's very exciting to think about doing an auction draft with a potential uh, start dynasty startup. So that's my thought process there. Make it a snake unless you have a lot of experience with auction, but yeah, and make it randomized. If you're going to include the rookies in that draft class in the whole pool, uh, you just do it, randomize the order. There's always the third round reversal. That's the most fair way to do it. But if you're going to separate the rookies out, make sure that you inverse the uh, draft order for the rookie draft versus what the vet was. And the last question I have here is tight end really a mandatory position anymore. Now that it's pretty much a wasteland, I still argue yes, and I understand the the fact that Travis Kelsey, uh, Kittle, Darren Waller, these guys, they give you such an advantage at the position, but that's what makes them so valuable. If you want those guys, you have to pay for those guys. Now, in a startup, it's kind of tough because you can use a first-round pick on Travis Kelsey and it gives you a massive advantage because you're just locking up that position, right, where I can probably get a guy at... Uh, the 10th round that's going to be able to fill as my wide receiver. But with the lack of depth for most of the guys in the league, if you're in a 12 team, if you don't have one of those three or four guys that's at the top of their position at the tight end, pretty much everybody else is on the same playing field. So I don't think it's that big of a deal. And I think that there are decisions that need to be made for the tight end position. Yes. A lot of it is kind of upside, but there are guys that are starting to break out a little bit more. So it is definitely a little bit of a mandatory position still. You can't just cut it out. I know that people have said like tight end or flex and just converting it into that, but I just don't like that as much personally. I I like having a tight end. We're already cutting defense and kickers out. I mean, if we start cutting tight end out, it's just pick your best uh, running back and your best wide receiver every week, which I like a little bit of choice. Like I said, I want to make people make decisions and, Kickers and defense, they're not predictable. Like, that's why everyone hates the kickers and the defense. You don't know when a guy's going to get a pick six. That's completely out of your control. You can kind of tell when a tight end's going to have a good week. Like, for example, in 2019, if your tight end was playing against the Arizona Cardinals, uh, I think in 15 out of 16 weeks, they were a tight end one, top five tight end for that week. So, there are things that you can do to pay attention to the tight end position that will let you know what is happening for the position and who to start in that week. So again, if you have like a kettle, uh, a Kittle or a Kelsey um, kettle, if you combine, if you have them both, um, then it's just a massive advantage. But yeah, it's it's not something that's 
worth it, in my opinion, to completely get rid of the position. I think it's more uh, strategic to keep the value on Kittle and Kelsey because if you got rid of the tight end, what are those guys worth now? Because now they're flex positions. They're not mandatory. They don't give you a huge advantage when you're putting them in your flex versus me putting another guy. Maybe I don't have a great tight end that I can start every single week, but I have a great wide receiver four that I can throw out there that rivals someone like Kittle or Kelsey or Kettle. Um, But yeah, I think that it just gives those guys the value that they're owed, essentially. So that's my thoughts on that. Uh, that was the last question. I appreciate you guys for giving all these questions again. Uh, hit me up on Twitter, on Facebook if you want to have any more answered. I think going forward, we're going to be doing this. I'm going to try and do this like once a month just because I really like the feedback that I got from you guys. I'm surprised I got so many questions from you guys, but I really enjoy it. That's why I made this podcast in the first place. I feel like too many people didn't get their specific questions answered. People kind of just give their own opinion without kind of reaching out to the community enough to get what they're looking for. So that's why I wanted to make this podcast, give you guys the truth, give you guys honest analysis, no BS, and also help you guys win your leagues. And if I can do that, it's all I really want really want to do is just help you guys win more titles and win more trades and win more leagues. So um, hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Thank you again for the, the questions. That was the first ever mailbag for the show. So that was exciting. I like it. My throat is like dying because I haven't done a podcast this long in forever, but thank you guys for making it this far if you have, but I really appreciate it. So, but that's all I got for you guys this week. Thank you guys for tuning in. My throat is about to die, so I'm going to sign off. Uh, Hopefully you guys enjoy the podcast. Let me know if you have any questions. Hit me up, like I said, in the month of March, I'm going to be starting to open up those dynasty consultations for your guys roster Uh, i do have my second son is going to be born on march 8th so it's going to be a very busy month so maybe i might die in march if i'm doing too many consultations but maybe the consultations will help keep me sane in between all the uh the crying and the screaming and everything for the baby so uh, we'll see how it goes i'm putting that out there but uh, I'm going to give myself a little bit of a, an out with the baby out. So, uh, um, but again, thank you guys so much for listening. Hopefully you guys tune in next week to the podcast. I think next week I'm going to be doing my first mock draft and I'm going to be giving you guys my top 12 quarterback going into the 2021 season and my rankings for those guys. So Tune in next week. Let me know what your guys' thoughts are. Again, you can follow me over on Twitter at TDC underscore Calvin or on the Dynasty After Dark Facebook page. Thank you guys so much for listening, and good night.